so I'm assuming you're in this room because you're either interested in dating and relationships or you're too late in signing up for the other seminars. Either way, I'm pretty excited. I hope that you guys are going to get educated today. Um, you know, it's obviously a hot topic. If you guys read the blurb, the blurb was what? What was the description of my seminar? You guys remember? Nice, nice try, nice try. Okay, it's, it was, I think, come and learn how to pursue a godly marriage by walking in wisdom with dating and relationships. Okay, so even though the title is Dating and Relationships, I'm going to talk a bit about the concept of marriage as well, just because I think it's important. Uh, but let's start with this. Why do people date? Why do people date? You, this is not rhetorical. I want you guys to answer this. Why do people date? I feel lonely. I feel lonely. What else? Why, why do people date? Why, do pe- why are people in relationships? Look at the people around you, your friends that are in relationships. Why are they in a relationship? For love. For love. What, what about love? They want to experience love? Mm, mm. Just put a melody to that, and that can be like next Taylor Swift song, right? Love, right? Drowning in the love. All right, what else? Well, why do people date? To get married. Okay. To have kids. Hopefully married first before they, you know what I'm saying? But, you know, some people don't get that order right, right? Shoot. Um, okay. What else? To fulfill a hole in their heart. Okay. What about this? When you, when you see like a couple in a relationship and they drop the word marriage, you ever see someone like, whoa, 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 whoa. It's like, when y'all going to get married? Like, hold up. Why are you rushing this? You know, why are you getting all crazy? It's not about marriage. We're, we're not there yet. So why are you together? Oh, we're just having fun. You, you ever hear that response? Like, we're just having fun. We're just getting to know each other. We're just kicking it. We're just having a good time. You know what I mean? Like we're just, we're just, you know, getting to know each other. There's all sorts of reasons of why people want to date, why people want to get into relationships. But if you, as a young single person, if you don't identify what your purpose is for dating and relationships, then you're going to be steered in all different courses of how you're going to date and how you're going to get into these relationships. If you don't have a, if you don't understand, if you don't have a clear purpose and understanding of it, then your response may be, well, you know, it's just to get to know this girl because I think she's cute or it's to get to know this guy because he's showing me a lot of attention. And you know what? It makes me feel good. You got to have a clear purpose. So let's look quick at the history of dating. I'm going to break it down for you guys. And this is more on the American side, just because I have no idea what the history of dating was in like France or even, even in Korea. I think it was just. You know, you parents were like, you marry you, you know, but, uh, I'll break it down in terms of American culture. Cause most of us are most influenced by American culture. Even if you've lived somewhere else, uh, where all of us are influenced by Hollywood, we're influenced by, uh, certain TV shows, things like that. All of that comes from American culture. So history of dating. Okay. 18th and 19th century, uh, in America, there was no concept of dating. Pretty much most, the most ordinary way of a romantic relationship to begin was arranged marriages. Okay. Arranged marriages, your family, um, with another family discuss, you know, your son, my daughter. And one of the reasons why there was arranged marriages, although one was maybe romantic interest or love, there was also many other reasons people had arranged marriages. One was connection, status, 
You know, we want to connect with this family name or we want to climb up this social ladder. So we want you to, you know, marry so-and-so. If you guys watch Korean dramas and you look at the stories of all the Chebars, you know, like the, the Samsung son or, you know, it's never Samsung, but you know what I mean? Like the whatever it's supposed to be, these conglomerate children, they're always supposed to marry someone that also is from a family that's wealthy, filthy, rich. And it's not because they want their kids to be in love. It's because it's a business transaction. What happens is they're both their companies are now joined in, in, in terms of that kind of stock or investment. And you see both of, you know, the stocks rising up because of it. And so back in the day, it had, it had a lot to do, uh, not just with love, but with these kind of other motives, ulterior motives. By the end of the 19th century, marrying for love became a little bit more culturally dominant. And there was something called a system called calling. Everybody say calling. Some people call it a courtship. Basically, where a guy would be invited into a woman's home, and they would only spend time in two places. One is in the porch or in the parlor, which is pretty much like your fancy living room, right? And, you know, if you guys ever read Pride and Prejudice, y'all don't know about Pride and Prejudice. You know, I'm a – anyway – one of my favorite books, but you know, that kind of time where you see, you see one of those, uh, th- that's what you see. You see a man coming in into a woman's home. And what happens is the purpose of this time is that you basically do a character assessment. This man looks at this young lady and sees how she interacts with her family. And he takes note of what she's like, her personality, her character. And then not only that, but this woman's family gets to all watch this guy. You know what I mean? Like, let's see how he acts. Let's see if he's a gentleman. Let's, let's see if he's patient. Let's see if he's loving. And there's a character assessment through this. And, and everyone's involved. Think about it. Like your whole family, you know, be like, you know, just watching. And you guys can't, you, you're not really supposed to go anywhere quite private. Anywhere that's private is still public in the sense that you can take like a walk around the grounds. But, you know, you know, you family, you know, they can still like stare out the window or keep their eyes on you. Uh, but it was more of a, it was a more of a community effort for marriage. Okay. And in these situations, I guess in a sense, the woman had a little, they had a bit of an authority because they could tell, they could shock call who was going to be invited to come to their home or not. You know what I mean? And so that was the end of the 19th century. By the time we hit the turn of the century, the concept of dating was birthed. And instead of a man going into a woman's home, he took her out of her home and would take her to places of entertainment where he can assess who she was. So let's go to the theater or let's go to the park. So rather than be chilling with her family, now he's taking her outside of the home and he, you know, would go uh, take her to these places that were fun. And soon it individualized the whole process rather than the family being involved all of a sudden and rather it being a character assessment or friendship, it turned into spending money, being seen and having fun. Okay. Now, we see dating still continuing to kind of be like that. Now, nobody's chilling at your home. Like, you wait till, like, it's real serious before you bring a boyfriend home, right? Or it's real serious before you introduce a girlfriend to your parents. But in the meantime, what do you do? You guys go to the movies. You guys go to nice restaurants. It's all about entertainment. It's all about having fun. And in the midst of this, you're hoping that you're going to find out who this person is while doing only fun things. Because that makes a lot of sense, right? And then at the turn of the 21st century came the concept of hooking up. 
And what hooking up is, is forget dating. Shoot, relationships is hard. You got to communicate. You got to give and take. You got to learn how to compromise. That's like, you know, too hectic. I don't want to deal with all of that. So let's just skip all that and let's just have a sexual encounter. Let's hook up. Let's make out. Let's kiss. Let's drunken bar kiss, you know, in the club. Y'all know what I'm talking about. You know, a little fondling or whatever. And there's no, there's no condition of a relationship. There's no condition. Of, but if you want, you can choose to be in a relationship afterwards. But you don't have to. You can hook up, have the sexual encounter. It's either like, you know what? That was fun. Let me hook up again. Maybe hook up again. And by the time 10th hook up, like you guys, you want to do this? You want to be in a relationship? Like that's how things work. Okay. So now you've gone from skip everything, go straight to physical intimacy and then work your way backwards and then try to develop some sort of emotional intimacy, spiritual intimacy, and hopefully work out for, you know, either getting together. I don't know how, but, or even getting married. So dating, hooking up. So our culture is, we're, we're in these two categories, dating and hooking up. There's no more arranged marriages unless you're in a certain culture um, or certain religion. And there's also rarely any courtship where it's like, you know, the man comes to the woman's home and just hangs out in the living room for like, I don't know, six months until the family all agrees that this man, you know what I mean? Like, you don't really see that today. That's not, that's really not how romance works in today's day and age. So if you look at the first two examples that I gave, the arranged marriages as well as the courtship or the calling, all of that is very geared towards just straight-up marriage. The end result is your hand in marriage. The guy proposes and it's marriage. But if you look at dating and hooking up, the end result is not always going to be marriage, but yet it's really complicated. It's complicated. It seems like we can date. It's fun. But the consequence of dating is that a lot of people end up trying to pursue a certain type of intimacy in dating, whether it's physical, whether it's emotional, without any commitment. And so when you break up from your dating, oh, you started out having fun, but then all of a sudden things started getting serious and then it didn't work out and you break up and it's a messy process. It's a, it's hurtful. People get heartbroken. People get depressed. People, you know what I mean? Like don't, they hate men, swear off men or they swear off women or whatever it may be. There's all sorts of consequences that comes with trying to pursue intimacy without commitment. So why do people date? One, I think the first probably would be marriage. They want to find their husband. They want to find their wife. Second reason is just straight up entertainment. And companionship. Why do you date? I just want to have fun. I don't want to be alone. I want to get to know someone. Uh, I want to have companionship. And, you know, being in a relationship is just fun, you know. Or it's a status. It's a form of status. If you're single, you're, you know, seen as someone that something's wrong with you or you're um, not attractive or whatever it may be. Entertainment and companionship. And the third is pretty much filling in both marriage and self uh Entertainment is self-satisfaction. Everybody self say self-satisfaction. So we're talking about fulfilling your desires. You date because you want to fulfill your desires for lust, intimacy, happiness, fulfillment. You know, you guys mentioned a couple of these things. You want to go and be in a relationship because you want to be happy. Because it makes you feel good. Because it's fun for you. 
Because it's nice to have someone look at you and say, I love you. Because it feels good to be attractive to somebody. Because it's enjoyable to watch a movie, not by yourself, but with someone that you're in a romantic relationship with. It's different than watching it with your buddy or with your girlfriend, you know? There's a difference. There's a level of, of a deeper connection that we long for. But the, the thing is, when you turn to dating for self-satisfaction, it's pretty much idolatry. And what I'm saying is you've now made your boyfriend the person who's supposed to satisfy you. Okay. So if he, if he has a bad day, if your boyfriend um, says the wrong thing, if your girlfriend gained a couple of pounds, if your girlfriend is moody, it's that time of the month and she cop an attitude. Now all of a sudden it's not so fun anymore, is it? It's not fun. And now you're dealing with all the drama and you're like, man, I don't know if I like you anymore. It's, it gets all complicated because it's about you and your satisfaction. And it's all about them fulfilling your needs. There's consequences to that because ultimately what we learn in scripture, Christianity, the basic is there's only one that can satisfy and that's God himself. So when you look to someone else to satisfy you, this is what you're going to look forward to. This is the eventual end that's going to happen. Emotional disappointment, spiritual hindrance, and physical disappointment. When you start, it's always fun. Trust me, I've been in mad relationships, all right? I did it in a lot of crazy ways, the hookup first and then you know eventually maybe a relationship i did the hookup and forget the relationship i did the dating i did all sorts of all of these different scenarios but it all ended in this because i'm not married to them right now right i'm married to my husband so all those relationships didn't work out obviously right i'm not keeping them on the side you know like some crazy whatever so you know i don't have them in speed down i'm not doing nothing shady all of those ended and it all ended the same way disappointment and disillusionment and hurt So that's when we seek dating for self-satisfaction. Now, we all know the answer is what? Marriage, right? But let's be real here. Let's be real here. A lot of us don't pursue dating for marriage. It's really for satisfaction. Some form of satisfaction. Or we we create an idolatry, an idol out of marriage as well. And marriage becomes something that is also designed to satisfy us. All of that leads to complete and utter disappointment because it was never designed to satisfy you. So if we choose the, the route that I believe is biblical, you date to get married. Okay, then what's the purpose of marriage? If your end goal for dating is to find your husband or to find your wife. Okay, then what's the purpose of marriage? Why get married? Why do people get married? Why why do you guys want to get married? Do you guys all want to get married? Okay, most of you guys want to get married. Why do you guys want to get married? Okay, she wants to have family. That's you need a husband to get family. Okay, right? Right? What else? What else? Why do you want to get married? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. Right, 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 right. He passed away. How old were you when he passed away? 
Doing, oh, so you never really, never met him. Did your mother ever remarry again? So you grew up with a, without a father and you, you understood kind of what you felt like you were missing because of that. And so you want for your children to experience a mom and a dad together. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So straight up for family, we want a healthy family for healthy children, both mother and father, a healthy marriage. Why, why else? Why do you guys want to get married? Joe Payne, why do you want to get married? Well, you want to get naked? <laughs> well, get what? Get what? You want to get some action? What? <laughs> Mercy. Help him, Lord. Why do you want to get married? Why do you guys want to get married? Why do you guys want to get married? What's the purpose of marriage? It's interesting that you guys are having trouble answering that question. Why do you want to get married? We work so hard or think so much, um, maybe for the men and, and no, I know for the women to want to reach that goal of marriage, but why? Lifelong companion. That's right. So there's that co- commitment, lifetime commitment that you can rely on, right? So if, if someone is really sticking to the covenant of marriage, you're going to have a best friend beside you for life. And that's something that's amazing to look forward to. Absolutely. It's an awesome answer. What else? Audrey, why do you want to get married? Do you want to get married? Yeah? What do you want? Why do you want to get married? He's like, of course, I know she wants to get married. <laughs> All right, ye. <laughs> why do you want to get married, Audrey? <laughs> why do you think you want to get married? Okay, yeah, same thing. Just just having that partner to to be with you. Okay, so... Let's talk about this. Why do you want to get married? It's the same thing as dating. I think a lot of people use marriage as satisfaction, a source of satisfaction. You know, you saw the movie Jerry Maguire. You guys ever watch that movie? It's kind of old school movie. And I guess it's old school now. Who is it? Tom, Tom, what? Tom Cruise. I just said Tom Hanks. No, Tom Cruise. And there's a scene where he says to, you know, Renee Zellweger or whatever, you complete me. Right? You complete me. Some people seek marriage because they think that you're, you're not complete until you get married. Right? When, until you find that partner for life, I'm just half of me. I'm just half. And I can't wait till I find that person that just, just fits, fits everywhere, fits, and is my other being. And now I'm fully complete. Okay? You complete me. The same issue with dating of self-satisfaction is in marriage. It's all about what you get. It's what I want and it's what I get. And again, you cast idols, not just out of your, your boyfriend or your girlfriend, but out of your spouse. When you do this, let me tell you straight, I'm a married woman. I've been married for six years. Y'all going to be mad disappointed, crazy disappointed if you think that your spouse is designed to fulfill your needs. If it's about you getting what you want, and if you think it's about you being happy, if you think about it's about you feeling like you're loved and you feeling attractive and you getting this and you getting that, you are going to be severely disappointed because your spouse cannot meet that standard. They are broken people. They are people that also have their own needs. We are all by nature selfish and self-centered, and we're all just learning how to love one another. And if we tell them to be like Christ for us, Pretty much you're telling your spouse, be like Jesus to me. I need you to be perfect. You're constantly going to be disappointed. 
constantly going to be disappointed. Shoot, there were times when I came home and I had a bad day and I just wanted my hubby to be in a good mood. Is that too much to ask for? I had a bad day. Oh, oh honey, you had a bad day. Come here, give me your feet, rub my feet. You tired? Let me cook you a meal. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's how it should be. <laughs> but you know what happened? I came home, I had a bad day. He had a bad day too. And he had a t- he had all this drama. I didn't care about his drama. All I knew is I had drama. And he had a tough day, and we came together, and all of a sudden, we're both in a foul mood. And he's pissed that I'm pissed, and I'm pissed that he's pissed, and now we pissed at each other. <laughs> you know, we're just sitting there like, "Hun, can you, uh, you think you can make dinner? Like, are you serious? Yeah, I'm serious. And what, you didn't, you didn't make anything? No, I just got home like five minutes ago. You, you see where this is all going? I expected him to make me feel better. At the end of the day, because that's what a husband's supposed to do. That was my mindset. He expected me to be the wife. Oh, honey, oh, put your feet up. Let me cook you that dinner. Oh, what do you want? Carby, carby, you know, like, I don't know how to make carby. Make your own carby. He, he, my husband was severely disappointed with my cooking skills. Let me tell you, if he, he had all sorts of, you know, that I would cut fruit and, I was like, he, he's the one that cuts fruit in my home. <laughs> he's always like, <laughs> I'm like, yeah, cut them apples. <laughs> you know how I like them cut. But we, we, could, we all of a sudden look to our spouses as one to satisfy us, to fulfill us, to make us feel better. And when they're not perfect, when they're not entertaining, when they don't look good, when they're not in a good mood, when they're not happy, all of a sudden we're annoyed and we're frustrated. Because it's about what getting what we want, self-satisfaction. And again, what happens? We're setting ourselves up, setting ourselves up for major disappointment. So this is the biggest issue, I think, of our time is the fact that this is our desire to get satisfied by marriage. And I think this is why the divorce rate is the way that it is. Because our generation, because we're obsessed with receiving, what we're looking for in a marriage partner is someone that is ideal. And we have become so overly idealistic in our concept of who our husband or wife should be that we're all, we have also on the flip side become extremely cynical towards marriage because we're constantly disappointed. And you constantly see people who get married, get divorced, get married, get into fights, get married. Their sex life is terrible. You know, people were like, man, if you, if you want to have an awesome sex life, don't get married because yeah, once you once you get married, it's all bored. It's all vanilla. It's all the same moves. One, two, three. You know what I'm saying? That's what people say. There's no excitement. Once, once you're committed, it's not fun anymore. Just enjoy dating. Enjoy this time cause, and push marriage further on. Because once you get married, man, it's not fun anymore. Then you have kids and forget it. Forget it. You, you've lost your life. It's not fun anymore. Self-satisfaction. So this is what happens. I want to be satisfied. So now what I'm looking for my future husband or wife, I'm looking for the ideal mate. Or some people, we say soulmate. I want to find my soulmate. Soulmate. And when we think about soulmates, this is what we're thinking about. We're thinking about someone that is hot, physically attractive, right? And we think about someone that you have sexual chemistry with, because that's important, right? If you don't get the little tingles, you know, when you see someone, it's like, no, you ain't the one. You ain't the one. You need to have some sort of sexual chemistry, physical attractiveness. You think about compatibility. And you're, and so many of our generation, we define compatibility as someone that doesn't want to change me. Meaning I can be just the way that I am and you, you're okay with that. 
we're compatible. <laughs> you know? <laughs> Why you guys are tripping, man? Um, fits me perfectly the way that I am right now. Right now. Okay, soulmate. We want our soulmate to be fun, intellectual. We don't want them to be morons, right? We want them to be smart, have intellectual conversations with us, stimulating, common interests. If I like sports and she needs to like sports, supportive of their personal goals. If I want to be a lawyer, my soulmate should support my journey to become a lawyer. If I want to pursue, you know, opening up a startup business and that requires for a lot of our finance, you know what I mean? Like my soulmate needs to be on board with my plans, with my goals, with my future, with my desires. This is what Tim Keller said. And a lot of what I'm sharing actually comes from this book right here. It's the meaning of marriage by Tim Keller. It's a sick book. It's so good. Out of all the books of marriage that I read, when it comes to the theology of marriage, this is the best one I've ever read so far. The Meaning of Marriage by Tim Keller. This will jack you up and then make you cry out for Jesus. Seriously, because I was like, oh. even even as I was reading, I'm like, am I even saved? Like, you know, I repent to my husband. I'm like, I'm sorry. <laughs> I needed you to be perfect. But Tim Keller says this. If you desire for a spouse who will not demand a lot of change from you, then you're looking for a spouse who's almost completely pulled together. Someone very low maintenance without much in the way of personal problems. Are you looking for someone who will not require or demand significant change? You are searching, therefore, for an ideal person. Happy, healthy, interesting, and content with life. Never before in history has there been a society filled with people so idealistic in what they are seeking in a spouse. We think love is supposed to be easy. Oh, it's supposed to be easy. So when you have conflict, when you deal with someone that has some issues, when you come across someone that is dealing with some stuff that's not perfect, that needs a little bit more time, that, you know, it still gets angry or, you know, has certain things, certain flaws, you know, we think, oh, man, nah, this is not going to work out. When you deal with conflict, oh, we don't agree on these things, A, B, and C. I remember I dated a guy and, you know, he was in college. I was in high school. So we did a lot of phone conversations. I remember one time I got hurt while I was on the phone speaking to him. I was like, ow. And he's like, what's wrong? I'm like, oh, man, I just stubbed my toe. And he goes, oh, did you get an ouchie wouchie? I said, oh, hold up. What did you just say? Did you get an ouchie? This is a grown man. And he just, did you get an ouchie wouchie? I broke up with him the next day. I was like, no, I don't play. I don't do that. I don't play that game. As soon as I heard that, I was so turned off. I was so like, yeah, no, no, there's no way. We are not compatible. You are not the one. It's over. It's over. And he was like, why are you breaking up with me? I'm like, oh, it's not you. It's me. <laughs> Just feel like God wants me to seek him right now. You know, I don't know what I said, but I'm sure I said whatever. But the truth is marriage is hard work. It's designed to be hard work. If you, if you don't understand that, if you think you're trying to find the person where it's the least amount of work, you got it all wrong. You got it all wrong. Even if you find someone that it seems so perfect and seems very compatible, trust me, you're in for a rude awakening. Because the moment you live together, the moment you have to share life together, the moment you have to make decisions together, the moment you have to share finances, all sorts of things are going to start popping up. And you're going to have to be dealing with it. And you're going to realize that it's work. And it's hard work. 
So I'm telling you right now, if you thought it was going to be easy, you got it twisted. Marriage is going to be very, very difficult. Very difficult. And you're like, what? No. 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 Can't be difficult. Are you kidding me? Think about like a professional athlete. You think for them to get to where they are, it was easy for them? You know, I saw like a Michael Phelps video of him in like a day of his training or whatever. And it's like some like upbeat, like 5 a.m., you know, <laughs> like some, I, I forget what it was, but it was like this hype video of like starting your day right, you know? And it's like 5 a.m., like he wants to hit the snooze, but he doesn't, you know? And then, and then he goes and swims and laughs and he's burning and wants to stop, but he keeps going. And it's just on and on about how difficult, what kind of challenges he has to co- overcome every day. Homie has so many gold Olympic medals. You think it was easy for him? Yeah, when we talk about two completely different people coming together and learning how to be one, we want it to be easy peasy. How, how do we figure that? How do we figure that? Marriage is supposed to be difficult. It's designed to be hard. It is glorious. It is amazing. It is awesome, but it's not easy. It's not easy. So trying to find someone to love that's the easiest person to love is, can't be your solution. It can't be your definition of soulmate or definition of lifelong partner because that ease can change so quickly. Um, there's a Duke university ethics professor. His name is Stanley H and he was, he famously made this point. He said this destructive to marriage is a self fulfillment ethic that assumes marriage and the family are primarily institutions of personal fulfillment uh, necessary for us to become whole and happy. The assumption is that there is someone just right for us to marry and that if we look closely enough, we'll find that right person. This moral assumption overlooks a, cru- a crucial aspect to marriage. It fails to appreciate the fact that we are always marrying the wrong person. We are always marrying the wrong person. We never know whom we marry. We just think we do. Or even if we first marry the right person, just give it a while and he or she will change. For marriage being the most, being the enormous thing it is, means we're not the same person after we entered it. The primary problem is learning how to love and care for the stranger to whom you find yourself married. Dang. What? He, there's no such thing as the right person is what he's arguing. This is a pretty controversial statement, obviously, because people don't like hearing that. There's no such thing as the right person. I think what he's trying to say is there's no such thing as an easy person to get married. However, with that said, I think there are degrees. There are definitely people that are different levels of wrong to get married. Not anybody's right, but there are people that are more wrong to get married to. You know, personality, compatibility. I'm not throwing all those things out. These are important assessments. These are important things you have to consider. However, it can't be the sole reason. That satisfaction can't be the sole reason why you get married. That's why you have so many people running out here thinking, I don't believe in marriage. What's the point? Marriage always ends up in divorce. It always ends wrong. It's better that we just, let's just live together. I don't need a piece of paper to prove my love to you. Right? Are you kidding me? 
Are you kidding me? Cohabitation? That's like the best. That's the best. You know why it's so good for cohabitation? You have all the perks and intimacy of a marriage, but you have absolutely no, not a single law written requirement to be with that person. And so whether someone better comes along, you can just leave without any consequence. There's no commitment, law written commitment, cohabitation. And it's just, let's just do it. Let's just live together. That's not marriage. That's not marriage. Marriage is solely based on covenant. It's based on commitment. That's just pretending to be married. There's no, you know, trust in that setting. Either party can leave at any time if they choose to. People like that. They want that independence. They want that choice. Just like Pastor Will said earlier, when you say yes, when you get married, you're saying no to everybody else. The problem is we don't want to say no to everybody else. Secretly, we think maybe we can find someone better. Like, I'm with you. You're great. You're amazing. But what if there's someone that's just a little bit better than you, and I'm going to miss out on meeting them if I marry you right now? I don't want to miss that opportunity. So I'm going to enjoy sexual intimacy. I'm going to enjoy emotional intimacy. I'm going to enjoy spiritual or whatever intimacy with you, but keeping my options open because that's safe. I'm looking for the perfect person. So what do we do? Marriage. I know it's about dating. I'll get there, but marriage, what is marriage according to scripture? Marriage is the gospel message. That's what you got. You have to understand. Marriage is a picture of Jesus and the church, which essentially is the gospel message. And what I mean by this is God demonstrated his love by laying down his life for us. So rather than marriage being about satisfying your needs, marriage is about laying down your life to love somebody else, to serve somebody else. To honor somebody else, to bless somebody else. It's not about what you receive. Marriage is about what you give. So if your only source of giving is in direct relation to how much you get from your spouse, that's not a marriage. That's a contract. I only give when you give. You meet me halfway. I meet you halfway. That's not marriage. Marriage is I go 100% no matter what you do. Because my source of giving is not you. It's not dependent. It's not conditional of how you treat me. It's from the fact that Christ is the source of my satisfaction. He fulfills all of my needs. Therefore, I have an eternal, unending source of love and forgiveness to give to you. And it's not based on how you treat me. So you can have your bad day, honey. You can come home cranky. But I still have the ability to love you. And I have still have the ability to serve you. And I still have the ability to be satisfied in my marriage because you're not the one that's satisfying me. I'm here to love you. I'm here to give to you. And trust me, my husband is living life to the same way towards me. So rather than give me what I want, you give me what I want. It's let me give it to you. Same way. He's looking for ways to bless It's a complete opposite of what we turn marriage and what we turn relationships into. And this is why so many marriages are not working today. It's because people are disappointed. Irreconcilable differences, meaning I fell out of love, meaning you bore me, meaning I'm tired of this relationship because you're not satisfying me the way that you used to. You're not meeting my needs, so it's over. 
that thought, that process, that's a demonic, that's like straight up from the devil. That's his definition of marriage. God's definition is it's not receiving, it's giving. And by giving the natural, of course, you're going to receive guys. It's not just like, oh, I'm here slave away from my husband. No, of course I'm going to receive, but it's our agreement to one another. I give to you unconditionally believing that your heart, your effort is going to also be to give to me unconditionally. It's powerful. Marriage is supposed to be a manifestation of the gospel. When you see an, a really thriving marriage, honestly, you should really see Christ in that. When you see a husband and wife that lay down their lives for one another, you know, when I first got married, you know, the most annoying decisions we had to make was, was what to eat for dinner. You know, there's this, um, uh, what is it? What is it called? It's like a gif. Is that what it's called? A gif when it's like a gif. Oh, it's a gif. Okay. Whatever, whatever it was, it's from the scene from the notebook and it's Ryan Gosling. And it's like, what do you want? I don't know. What do you want? And it, but, but the caption was like, what do you want for dinner? You know what I mean? It's like, what do you want? And it's just like, it's complicated. And me and my husband, we just laughed so hard at that because that was like our conversation because we were so busy. He was in seminary. I was doing ministry at, in the evening. So like cooking meals, it just didn't happen. We rarely ate together. And when we did, we always ate out. So it was always like, all right, what do you want to get? He's like, I don't know. What do you want to get? I'm like, I don't know. What do you want to get? He's like, no, I don't know. Can you just, can you just choose something? And I'm like, all right, I want pizza. He's like, I don't want pizza. <laughs> all right, you don't want pizza? Then why don't you tell me what you want? I'm like, no, I don't. Just, just tell me what you want. Just tell me what you want. What do you want? <laughs> just small decisions like what to eat for dinner. Now you got to make it together. You know how annoying that is? Now you got to consider somebody else. I mean, that's just itty bitty, but let's talk about living in a home. Now we got to choose how to spend our money, which apartment to live in. But I like this one, but I like this one, but I like, I, I, I like the bedroom. Well, I like the kitchen. You know, you're never even in the kitchen. I'm like, I don't care. I still like the kitchen. And if I have a nice kitchen, maybe I'll be in it more. You know, like we had all sorts of conversations where it's so easy to live life by yourself, make decisions on your own, independent. That's why people like independence is because it's easy peasy. But when you got to consider someone else. When you need to serve someone else, when you need to love someone else, that's the challenge, but that's Christ. That's gospel. And it's powerful when you see two people who've learned to lay their lives down for one another. To lay it down. There are so many things I had to lay down for my husband. From the little things to big things. And there's so many things that he's laid down for me. Again, from the little things to the big things. I never made my bed for 22 years of my life. What's the point? You're going to go back in it anyway. And you know what? When it's a little messy, it looks more comfortable. You know what I mean? And you just jump right in. <laughs> my husband, he's a stickler. You have to make your bed. It's just the way that it, he, he can't stand a messy bed. Like if it's a messy bed, it's like a messy life, you know, like for him, it's just, he can't. So I used to get text messages, like photos, click of a messy bed. He'd send it to me at work and be like, hon. Can you please make the bed? You know what I'm like at work? Like, is this man serious? Like, is this a big deal? It's just so much effort, you know, then you got to clear and then you got to, you know, fold it and then you got to smooth it over. That's like 10 minutes of my day. That's, that's like a lot of my time, but no, I mean, then I realized that this is really important to him. <laughs> I thought, all right, all right, all right, all right. This, this, let me love my husband. I make my bed every day. <laughs> and anyone that lives with us, Judy knows she lived with us for a season. Oh, we used to take photos of her bed too. 
and be like, Ayo, Judy, make your bed. <laughs> it's just, it's just this thing, you know, you make these compromises. You're just so different. You, when, when you grow up, where you put the medicine is different from where your husband grew up putting the medicine. You know, my medicine was always in the linen closet next to the bathroom. His medicine was always in the kitchen. Why is medicine in the kitchen? He's like, well, you know, because you got to eat and then you got to take the medicine. And I'm like, no, then the, you know, the cabinet smell. You, you're fighting about or the toilet paper roll. Which way is it going to go? Is it going to go under or over? <laughs> like these things that you think are like just a given. Every single decision, all of a sudden, you have an opportunity to make it about you or die to yourself. And if it's all about making it about you, then I'm telling you, marriage is going to be so frustrating. It's going to be so frustrating. But you just learn. You just learn to let it go. You learn to die to yourself. You learn to love one another. My husband and I have been fighting about our daughter's name. I'm having a baby girl. And he's, he's got a name picked out from like decades ago. You know? But I don't like the name. And so he's like, come on, just give me this child's name. And you can name the next child whatever you want. You know what I mean? I'm like... No, <laughs> we just been at it, at it, at it. And he's like, no, the Lord telleth me. And I'm like, the Lord did not telleth me. I was like, this baby's our baby. Like we were just unrelenting. And I remember slowly, I started feeling bad, you know, like, and I said, hon, if this is really that important to you, if this is really that important to you, then I'll, I'll yield. I'll yield. And he goes, no, 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 no. If this is really important to you, then I'll yield. And I said, no, you will not outdo me here. If this is really important to you. <laughs> but eventually, you know, he just gave, I got the name that I want. Hey. No, we, we discussed it, but he was like, I'm just going to let it go. I, I want it to be something that we can both be happy about. But he, di- he died to himself because I know that he really, really wanted this name. Really, really wanted this name. Shanene. Close. Um, no, he really wanted to name her Mariah. Yeah. Mariah, Mariah after a revivalist, powerful revivalist. But I'm like, honey, everyone's going to think, who did you think of Mariah Carey? Exactly. Exactly. I'm like, ain't nobody going to think about a revivalist. They're going to be thinking, Ooh, you know, like, oh, all Mariah Carey. Then she's going to be all like, no, uh, no, 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 no. Anyway. So we got to a huge riff about that, but that's marriage. Dying to yourself, laying down your life. It's not you. And you know what? This is the truth. When you lay down your life, that's when you get true satisfaction. Man, yes, you get married, not just to die. You do get married to receive, but the way that you receive is not the way that you think. It's not by pursuing your needs. It's by putting someone else's needs above you. When you learn how to do that, that type of reward and that type of love that you get in return, that type of satisfaction that you have by being able to manifest God's love to someone else is unlike anything else. You think about it this way. When we, us having this child, we're not having this child for satisfaction of now, you know, you have fulfilled my needs and I need you to be this perfect baby. You know, some parents have that. And they want their kids to be a certain way. They want their kids to look a certain way. They want their kids to have a certain career. Because ultimately, their, their kids are an image of something that needs to fulfill a deep desire in their own hearts. And you see parents that are really obsessed with their children. You know what I mean? Like those helicopter, you call them a helicopter mom because they just always helicopter. Mm-hmm. 
over there, over, oh, you know, like they're just all, all about their kids because there's this deep need to get satisfaction even from their child. But the design of even bearing children is not to receive from your child. What the heck can your child give, but to give them love, right? And marriage is so similar in that sense. Biblical marriage is not about, you know, ha- having fun. All of those things is just a natural overflow. Like you're supposed to have fun in marriage, guys. I'm not, I'm not, I don't want to paint this paint picture of doom, you know, like, like, dang it, marriage is going to be terrible. Like what? I gotta, I gotta change my toilet paper. Like, are you kidding me? You know, like, no, marriage is so much fun. It's amazing. It's awesome. But all I'm saying is it's designed for us to lay down our lives. It's designed not for self-satisfaction, but we get satisfied by loving someone else, by giving to someone else. It's also covenant. That's what Pastor Will was talking about. It's a commitment. It's not contractual. Contractual means if Tay does this for me, then I will do this for Tay. Meaning we have a contract with this retreat center. If this retreat center provides the proper facilities, we will pay the retreat center at the end of our time here. Right? It's conditional. But a marriage covenant is unconditional in sickness and health. And, you know, when you do your vows, you name all these different, no matter what conditions happen, no matter how hard it is, I'm committed to my husband. I'm committed to you. All right. So if this is the picture of marriage, then that's got to affect the way that we date. Right. So dating, the result of dating, the reason why we want to date is why to get married. Right. Eventually find our marriage partner. If our finding our marriage partner is not about finding the perfect person, it's not about finding the person that's going to satisfy me, but finding a person that I want to commit to love, then that's got to change the way that we look at our dating process. So what a lot of people do is they date for the sake of marriage and they do these long dating periods. Why? Because I got to make sure that you're the one. So we're going to date for like three years, four years, five years, because listen, once we get married, it's like a done deal. So I got to make sure that everything, all the T's are crossed. All my I's are dotted. Okay. But just like I explained to you early on, you can't, you can date for 10 years, but the moment you get married, it's still going to be different. You're still going to discover new things about one another. There's no such thing as knowing exactly what you're getting yourself into. The truth is you guys don't even know yourselves that well. And even as you get older, you discover new things about you. Would you say that you're the same person as what you were like when you were 13? You know what I mean? Some of you would be so embarrassed if we showed a film of what you were, you know, like a day in Tay's 13-year-old. You know what I mean? She'd be like, "Mm -hmm," you know. If I showed you what I was like even like seven years ago, eight years ago, I'd be so embarrassed. (laughs) There would be so many things where you'd be so surprised how much I, I have changed. I've changed and we're, we're constantly changing and we're changing because we're becoming more and more like Christ, right? In our process of sanctification. And in that same way, because we're constantly changing, the person that we married are, is also constantly changing because we go through seasons. Are we always happy, joy, joy all the time? No, we go through seasons, don't we? Sometimes it's like summer. It's awesome. You know, everything is awesome. And then sometimes we go through winter where it's like, dang, life is hard right now. And it's really tough to go through. 
And you got to push, and you may not be the most happy, happy, joy, joy person. You're trying to persevere and push through, but you go through these seasons. Guess what? When you get married, you still go through these seasons. And you know what sucks? You rarely go through the seasons at the same time. So when it's summer for me, it's winter for him. When it's fall for me, it's summer for him. Oh, he's, he's on fire for the Lord, praying every night. And I'm like, on the side, but next time, you know, I get a revival and I'm like, Ooh, you know, and, and he's like, I'm going to, I'm going to play some Madden, you know, like it, you have to be able to adjust even to the different changes that we go through. So how does this affect our dating? How does this affect our dating? Well, here's what I have to say. I have to say that time doesn't equate to, uh, knowing whether they're the one or not. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying marry, you know, someone that you met like a week ago. But I am saying that spending one year versus three years, that's nothing new. That's not going to change anything. All you're doing is prolonging this commitment and making it harder for you to stay sexually pure in this relationship. Okay. So with dating, I consider shorter shorter (laughs) than normal dating or dating that's very intentional for the purpose of marriage. So if you guys want to learn more about what Nufili does, my husband preached a whole series on wisdom and relationships, and he talked about some of the things I talked about and other stuff, but... These um, series, it's really good. And he talks about, one, why to even get married. You know, two, what dating could look like. Um, and so there's uh, all that information is out there. So I'll, I'll talk about it, but not really, okay? Um, what I want to talk about is sex, okay? <laughs> My husband, if you were there on Sunday, he talked about sex. I think he had a little too much fun talking about it, though. I was like, how many times are you going to say erogenous zones, you know? Uh, honey, I'm just sitting there turning bright red, you know? No, it was funny. It was, it was, it was good. I think we need to learn how to talk about sex more. Um, but the reason why I want to talk about sex is because I think with long-term relationships, and if you don't put proper physically physical boundaries in relationships, you're going to get caught up in sexual immorality in relationships. And for some of us, it's like a given. Like, what's the big deal? Like, we're in a relationship. We're headed towards marriage. You know what? We even think we're going to get married, so might as well just, you know, get, uh, you know, be sexually intimate. We're going there anyway. What's the difference if we if we wait or if we just do it now? Effects of sex. I'm going to go back a little bit. I'm going to talk about first the effects of pornography and masturbation. Okay. Pornography and masturbation. So for those of you guys that know my testimony, this is something that I struggled with for so long in my life. And, you know, I think it's something that was pretty, you know, generational in the sense that I started very, very early. Okay. Very early. I got exposed to both pornography. And then I also, you know, I don't even know how you learn, but you just figured out how to masturbate. Someone didn't teach me. I just figured it out at that young of an age. I didn't know that it was a sexual thing. I just knew that it made me feel good, made me feel better. And so I started, I think when I was like maybe in first grade or second grade, so you don't have a grid, you don't have a sexual appetite. I was before puberty. Um, but this is just something that, you know, my, in, in my life, it was a huge stronghold for me. And so once you start, especially when you start young, what happens to your actual brain when you become or when you uh, expose yourself to pornography is it changes the way that you think. Now, everyone, even my husband, he has a bad habit of always talking to only men 
when this subject occurs. But I know that this is not a man problem. This is a lady and a man problem. Okay. Both the men and the women these days were all exposed to the temptation of struggling with this sin. Okay. Pornography and masturbation. So I'll start with pornography and then I'll, I'll talk about masturbation a little bit. Pornography, what it does with your brain is it, it, it creates a deceptive image of what sex is supposed to be like. Right. Again, it's all about self-fulfillment for a man. All of a sudden you have this very crazy standard of what a woman is supposed to look like and a, what a woman is supposed to do for you in order for you to be sexually pleased. Okay. The truth is 99.9, other than these crazy women and, you know, telling men what to do, 99.99% of pornography that's out there is very derogatory towards women. Okay. Very derogatory towards women. And if you listen to the language, it's even the language is derogatory, you know, uh, terms like you slut, you whore, these things, you know, and women are supposed to say, yeah, that's what I am. You know, I, yeah, that gets me excited when you call me these terms. You see these kind of very twisted views of what is supposed to bring a man pleasure. And for men, what it does is it gives you a very sick view of what you think women gets, how women get pleasured as well. No, we don't like to be called whores. Let me check. You should write that down in your notebook and underline and hire it, you know? Like, that's not something that, it re- oh, yes, I'm a whore. Woo! You know, like, if you see some of these things, like, it's crazy. It's crazy, the language. It's crazy what goes on. But that it's just very, very twisted, okay? And then now when women watch pornography, they think that's what it means to be sexy, that's what it means to be attractive. I have to have a certain body type. I have to always please the guy. Whatever he says, not only do I have to do, but I have to be excited about it. Like, this is the best thing ever. Yeah, I definitely want to do that. No. It, 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 it begins to create this twisted thing. Or for some women, you know what? It may not be pornography. That might be like, oh, my gosh, how can you watch that stuff? It's disgusting. But then you're all into, like, romantic comedies or, like, Korean dramas. And you'd be thinking that everybody's going to be like, Iminho, you know what I mean? Like coming through and, and, you know, all this romance and you have this idealistic, it's the same thing. People be obsessed with twilight. They're obsessed with, you know, what, what's the other thing? Oh, mercy, mercy. We need Jesus up in here. That it, it is so twisted how much the devil has tried to pervert what was originally created to be very glorious, beautiful, and actually be an act of worship. Okay. Now it's filled with all sorts of things that's completely tied to shame. So pornography actually does mess with your mind. And not only that, it's going to mess with your sex life. Not only before you get married, but even after you get married. And the thing with pornography is it's kind of like drugs. You start with a little bit and then that gets you really excited. You could just see like, you know, just a small something and you're like, oh, you know, you get all excited about it. But soon that's not enough. Then you need a little bit more. Then you need to look at even more hardcore things. Then that's why people start, even men who never even had any homosexual tendencies, a lot of men find themselves all of a sudden having, clicking on something that's homosexual related. And it's not because you're gay. It's because you have come to the line where even hardcore straight sex pornography is not filling that. So now you need something even more than that. 
If you look at the categories of pornography, it's crazy. You go to even things like bestiality or incest, scenes where it's pretend to be moms and daughters or, you know, mothers, uh, fathers. and It gets more and more decrepit and more and more disgusting and more and more twisted. But it's all because people are just, they're not getting satisfied anymore. Just like when I started doing drugs, I used to take one hit of weed and I'd be like, woo, you know, out of it. That soon I needed a whole blunt. To my, well, I don't know if you guys know what that means. I needed a whole thing, kind of like a cigarette filled with weed to myself. That's a lot, by the way. That's a lot, by the way. But I just need I, more and more to get that same high. Pornography is just like that. So you get yourselves into even t- more twisted, more sexual deviant things. And now all of a sudden, the enemy is attacking you and saying, you are sick. You're pervert. What? If people knew what you were looking at, man, that's disgusting. What's wrong with you? Are you serious? You just, as soon as he lures you in, as soon as you do it, all of a sudden, he switches his game and is now pointing his finger. And what happens is it creates a distance, an inability for intimacy with your future spouse. So I had to deal with a lot of these issues when I married my husband. This is the truth. Because I had not only my own promiscuous past, but I also had so much pornographic images and, you know, attachments or whatever, even though that was from, you know, whatever ago, still it affected the way that I saw sex. So in the beginning of our marriage, I really struggled to be okay with having sex as like a a glorifying thing. You know, to me, it was still like, mm -hmm, like. It was shaded with dirt because it, it was always a place of like shame for me, you know, so I had to, I had to deal with that. Even with rape, the first time I, um, uh, had sex was, wasn't consensual, you know? And so even dealing with an aggressive guy, or if it was, if, even if he was slightly aggressive, I would shut down because I would be reminded of scenarios that I had been in. And I got H&D, I got healing, but you know what? I needed to go through a whole nother level of healing, even after I got married. It's very difficult. Masturbation. Oh, masturbation's healthy. They say, doctors say that if you masturbate, you know, it helps you sleep. You know, it helps you relieve stress. It helps you relieve tension. All of these things. There's physical benefits to masturbation. You know what masturbation is? It's self-satisfaction. It's you use yourself to please yourself. It's self-satisfaction. Sex is designed, and that's, that's the problem with sex these days is most people just masturbate with each other. That sounds sick, but stay with me. They just use one another to get satisfied. But the design of sex is the same as marriage. Sex was designed for you to give to your spouse so that they would feel satisfied and that they would give to you so that you would be satisfied. Your intention during sex is to please the other person. You know what I'm saying? But with masturbation, you're learning that it's all about your pleasure. You, you understand how this is working? The, re, you, with masturbation, there's a lot of like, oh, well, it doesn't explicitly say in the Bible that masturbation is sin. But if you look at the Bible, even lustful thoughts is considered to be sin. Anything that's sexual, immoral, whatever, whatever. You can, I could give you Bible verse after Bible verse that will point to the wisdom of masturbation not being something that glorifies God. It just teaches you it's about me. That's what it's teaching you. It's about me. How can I get my pleasure? So when you enter a dating relationship and you open the doors for these kind of things, you're learning the wrong. You're learning the right thing in the wrong way. You're learning about sex in the wrong context. 
and you think that it's going to be completely resolved once you get married. And no, I'm telling you, it's like trying to learn how to use chopsticks like this. And all of a sudden, when you get married, you're like, oh, just kidding. It's not like this at all. It's like this. And you're like, wait, what? You have to relearn everything. So people think one of the reasons why you are sexually active before you get married is so you can get some skill set, right? So you can know what you're doing in the bedroom. So you're not a complete noob and fool and you're like, you don't know what's, you know, a hand and a foot. Like, you know what you're doing. You got some skills. You got some moves, whatever it may be. Unfortunately, all of that gets thrown out of the window because what you're learning in sex outside of marriage is under the umbrella of lust. And what you're learning under the covenant of marriage is under the umbrella of love. Two completely separate locations. So I, with all of my experience, should have been an expert at sex with my husband because I had a lot of it before I got married to him. Unfortunately, I had to tear down every experience that I had and I had to relearn everything. I had to relearn everything. That took so much effort and heartache and pain. And so that whole theory of, yeah, if you get married and you're a virgin, you know, you're going to have this in terrible sex life or whatever. That's so not true. We have married couples in our ministry who will not be named. Many of them who got married as virgins and they have the, some of the most healthiest sex lives. And everyone that I know that had premarital sex in whether within their relationship or outside of their relationship, they had to go through a time of struggle to learn how to have sex properly. Unfortunately, manhood, even these days, is defined as, like, alpha male is the guy that can get any girl. And the sad thing is, even girls get attracted to that. We like the bad boy. You know, you get the good girl, the, I mean, the good virgin, you know, boy, and you're like, mm, you know, he's a nice guy for a friend. You know, and then you got that punk that, like, sleeping with everybody, and you're like, oh, hey, you know, I can change him. Like, why are we attracted to the, the idiot, the jerk, you know, like why? But there's this, but there's this cultural thing that has kind of catered our view towards the wrong direction. Right? So there's this um, quote here. It's by Lipton. He's a professor at SUNY Stony Brook. He says this, uh, it's argued that a need for sexual conquest, female adulation and illicit and risky liaisons seem to go along with drive, ambition, confidence in the alpha male. So like a guy that has a lot of sex, a guy that, you know, adores female, that's tied to drive, ambition, confidence in the alpha male. Let's think about that. James Bond. You know, you look at movies with these like really tough guys and they just be having sex with all these hot girls and you just make that. Okay. Moshina Namja. Okay. Oh, uh, sex. Uh, lots of sex. Right. And like, that's just, just the way that it is. Right. You define that as this guy's a manly man. But Lipton argued that marriage was traditionally a place where males became truly masculine in marriage, only in marriage. For most of Western history, the primary and the most valued characteristic of manhood was self-mastery. The primary understanding of manhood was self-mastery, a.k.a. self-control. A true man has self-control. That's a real man. A man who indulged in excessive eating, drinking, sleeping, or sex, or failed to rule himself, was considered unfit, unfit to rule his household, Must, much less 
take a government position. He was talking about how government officials these days just be sleeping with everybody. And we think it's okay because it, it shows their ambition and their drive. No, it shows their lack of control. And so we're thinking, defining, okay, that homie that gets a lot of action, he's a real man. No, that homie has anybody could be sleeping with anybody. That takes no effort and no control. You know what I mean? Like, it's not like it's hard to get naked and just sleep with people. But the person that knows how to resist that desire and that temptation, the person that knows how to have self-control, that takes character. That takes effort. That takes maturity. And to me, I define all of those terms as real manhood. That's a real man. My husband was a virgin when we got married. That's a man. For, for you guys that are here that you're not virgins, I'm not saying, because I wasn't a virgin, so I'm not trying to judge you. But what I'm saying is, even now, even if you lost your virginity, claim back your purity through the blood of Christ. And now pursue self-control, because self-control is a definition of a real man. That's the definition. Same for you women. Self-control. That's the definition of real maturity. It's actually sexual restraint, sexual restraint rather than sexual prowess that is the measure of a man. So I know I'm jumping around topics here, but this is like for real, for real. Like I wish someone gave me this seminar when I was like 13 years old. And like laid it out for me, like kept it real, you know, popped the Disney fantasy and then, you know, got rid of the whole, uh, you know, I went from Disney to pornography. You know what I mean? So I went from all of a sudden, oh, be a princess and Prince Charming to this is what it means to be attractive. It's being sexual. If you're a sexual person, now you're attractive. If you know how to dress sexy or be sexy, then now the men are going to come and, you know, pursue you or want you or validate you. It's all these crazy extremes that I went through. Lastly, the reason why you can't mess with sex or sexual immorality is because there's severe consequences. It's not just for the sake of health in your marriage. It's not just for the sake of purity in your marriage. It's not just for the sake of worshiping God. All of those things are number one, but there are legit for real consequences. Open up your Bibles to first Corinthians chapter six. Sweating up here. Uh, Verse 12 to 20. And I'll read a verse. You guys can read the following verse. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 12 to 20. I'll start with verse 12. Everything is permissible for me, but not everything is beneficial. Everything is permissible for me, but I will not be mastered by anything. Go ahead. 13. Come on, y'all. Read it like you're reading the Bible for real. Shoot. All right, here we go. One, two, three. By his power, God raised the Lord from the dead, and he will raise us also. Do you not know that he who unites himself with a prostitute is one 
with her in body. For it is said the two shall become one flesh. So flee from sexual immorality. All other sins man commits are outside his body, but he who sins sexually sins against his own body. You were bought with a price, therefore honor God with your body. Watch this. Look closely at verse 15 to 16. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? Shall I take the members of Christ and unite them with a prostitute? Never. Do you not know that he who unites himself with a prostitute is one with her? Okay. Some of you are like, well, I never slept with a prostitute. This doesn't apply to me. This is what scripture is saying. When a man sleeps with a prostitute, what's the purpose of it? It is purely physical. Purely physical. There's no, I'm going to marry this woman. There's no, you know, I know there's songs like I'm in love with a stripper or whatever. But listen, for real, if a guy is going to pay money for sex, he just wants the sex. But here in scripture, God is giving me this extreme example that even when you just pay money for the physical, you don't want anything else. You don't want any other connection to this woman. You still become one with her. Because sex was designed to bring a man and woman and make them one. It was a manifestation of oneness. So when you have sex outside of the covenant of marriage, maybe it's not with a prostitute, but it's with your boyfriend for three years. So you think you're good. You're becoming one with that person. Now, when you become one with that person, you break up. What happens then? I'm not with that person anymore, but I've become one with them physically. What happens is what I like to call soul tie. Now there's a link between you and that person. All of a sudden, you don't know why, but you compare all your future boyfriends to your ex. Or sometimes you, th- you think about them or you think about the sexual encounters that you've had. Or it may not be physical, but you're emotionally tied. Now, even though you've been broken up and you know that he's an idiot, you have a soft spot. So when he wants to come see you again, what are you going to do? You're going to, uh, okay, I guess I'll come see you. There's this strange tie and connection. Or you know what? Even if you don't even talk to this guy again, even if it's a one night stand, you sleep with someone, you bring that soul tie into your marriage. And there's a portion of you that you haven't given to your spouse because it's with that person. So what do you do? What do you do? That means, shoot, there, there's, I mean, I don't need to give you a number, but there's a couple of people that I then am connected to rather than my husband, if that's the truth. The good news is with soul ties that the cross and the gospel message can break that. But it has to be an intentional process. You can't just say to yourself, God forgives me, so I'm I'm good. You got to deal with that sin. You got to deal with what happened and you got to repent and renounce and deal with that issue of having sex outside of marriage. For some of you, it's like, yeah, man, I didn't have sex, but I had oral sex. That is sex. Okay. Well, I didn't have oral sex. You know, I just, you know, touched or whatever, whatever. Still, whether you, no matter how far you went, you're opening yourself up for a vulnerability for a certain physical attachment towards someone else. Okay. So the deeper you go, the deeper the attachment is. So if you hold hands, it's not like you're going to be, Oh, I held his hand. You know, that may not be as serious, but when you do something as intimate and as designed for oneness as sex, then you, we're going to have something called a soul tie. And the way that you deal with soul ties, some people, some people have soul ties, even without having sex, they're just so emotionally invested in someone that they're, that person is always in their vicinity. They, they don't even talk to them anymore, but they're always thinking about that person. 
right? Just that guy, that ex-boyfriend, that ex-girlfriend, or maybe even a crush. They didn't even like you back, but you've been so obsessed and have given so much time to think about this person that there's, there's this strange connection that you have with them. Those soul ties you have to deal with in the spirit. You have to repent. You have to confess. You have to renounce. You have to deal with it and you have to break it. So why? Why go into relationships where you create more soul ties in your pursuit of marriage if you want a godly marriage, if you want a healthy marriage? And if you have a soul tie, I suggest you talk with me or you talk with your, your small group leader or your familiar leader and you get that dealt with. Because the gospel is, the work on the cross is already done, but our application of the cross, we're still in the process of it. Two weeks ago with soul tie. And how do you feel after you got that done? It's completely different, isn't it? So was it with the ex-boyfriend? And how long were you with this guy? A year. It's a pretty long time. Mm-hmm. Snap. Yeah. Mm. Right. Yeah. Right. Right. And now if you do think about him, it doesn't have authority over you. Yeah. Right. It's just like, okay, I think about him, but that's done. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. Usually you'd be all like, wait, what? And who? And what's going on? And that's amazing. That's amazing. I know exactly what you're talking about. There's so many soul ties that I had to break off. And I never thought that I would have to, I could get over some of these past relationships. And I always compared my future relationships with those relationships, but, but in a very unhealthy way. In a very twisted and unhealthy way. And so just like, what's your name, hon? Jalen. Just like Jalen shared, if that's something that you have dealt with, I'm telling you, just come and talk to a leader and we could just deal with that. But why get yourself into that situation? Okay. So when we date, when we pursue, you have to go for sexual purity. If you're going for sexual purity, then the way that you date has to be done well. If it's just individualistic, you and that person, you're going to get into all sorts of situations because it's hard. We're naturally going to be drawn to be tempted to move forward physically. It's just natural. But if you understand, just like back in the day when we used to get the whole family involved, if you get a community involved, then a spiritual community, then you can put boundaries and have accountability and get to know someone and get to have a character assessment, get to see if you guys connect, get to see some basic things. Not that they're perfect. You know what I mean? Not that they're this ideal person, but that there's some substance out there that you're willing to commit to. And you have that spiritual covering that's there. Now, then you can move forward and have actual healthy relationship where even if it doesn't work out, you're okay. That's the sign if you're doing it well. If you are doing it well, even if it doesn't work out, you should not be devastated, heartbroken, depressed, crying, burning photos, you know, you know, throwing out rings, you know, not talking to like 20 people because they know them. No, it shouldn't be like that. If it's a healthy relationship, even if it doesn't work out, you can be disappointed, maybe a little bit let down, but you can move on and you'll be straight. 
And you can still be in the same community with them as well. You don't need to avoid them. You don't need to move churches. You don't need to move to a different state. You don't need to move to a different college. These are things, effects that some people have. They go through with relationships. They change friends when they break up, you know, because they've gotten so intertwined in these relationships. Some people don't even know who they are after they break up. You've been so tied. You know, every time I went in college, I dated a guy named John for like four years. And every time I went somewhere, they're like, yo, where's John? And every time he went somewhere, they're like, hey, where's Aaron? It was just, we were like at the hip. And so when we broke up, I was literally like, who am I? You know, I am not John's girlfriend anymore. So who am I? I had like an identity crisis. I didn't even realize how deep into this relationship I had gotten. But if you're doing it well, if it's a healthy relationship, and again, PC already preached a whole message on it. If you want to check it out, it's on the New Philly website. But if you want to pursue a healthy relationship, then... The result is you can meet many different type of people. I'm not like marry the first person you get. Chill out. It's not going to work out that way. Sometimes you're going to get through a couple people before you find the right person. That's okay. But if the process is healthy, if the process is, is covered, then even if you go through like 15 guys, 15 women before you find the person that you want to commit to, still your relationship with all of those previous people are fine. We have so many people in our church that dated each other. Y'all don't know because it didn't, it didn't go to that next public phase. I know, so it's hilarious, you know, and we just like secretly make fun of each other, but they, there's so many relationships that happen, but it just didn't work out. It didn't work out. There was interest and, you know, or someone was interested and the other person wasn't, there was a little bit of disappointment, but still, if you look at them now, everybody's healthy. Everybody is continuously, you know, loving on one another in a, in a, you know, whatever way people are getting married with the person that they were supposed to get married to or whatever. And so the results, the consequences are completely different. All right.